This is the Hack the Future podcast, the human stories behind courage, purpose, and imagination. Join your host, Terrence Mowry, who will guide you on the journey of reimagining the world as we know it. The global pandemic has turned our world upside down. It's forced us to rethink trust, ethics, transparency, and even happiness. How happy are you on a scale of one to 10? And how happy are your family, friends, and work colleagues? Is it time to reboot happiness? Today, I'm delighted to interview Mo Gordat. He's the former chief business officer of Google X, the moonshot factory for Alphabet Group, and the author of the global bestseller, Soul for Happy. He's on a global mission to help 1 billion people become happier. He says that this global moonshot may be the most important mission of our time. In an exclusive interview, Mo and I unpack his ideas for launching the best and boldest version of you. Mo, welcome to Hack the Future. How are you today? I'm uh, doing very well, actually. It's an exciting day for me. I, uh, I've just rented the tiniest apartment I have oh. ever rented in my life. <laughs> and uh, I'm doing a minimalist experiment that is uh, going really well. I love it. Yes. You, you mentioned that um, you're unpacking with IKEA. <laughs> I, I did that. But part of the minimalism on, of this is I basically said, look, let's not do 200 trips to get things that eventually more or less will look the same. Uh, you know, I, I look at things much more in terms of their utility now than just their style and, and, and look. Yes. And I think, and I have to admit to you, I mean, they, they look fantastic to me. So, uh, mm, and, and the space, space is tiny. So you don't yes. really have the, you don't have the ability to step back far away from it and go like, how does this look? It's like you're sitting on the sofa. So, you know. I love uh, as, that. Long, as, lo- as long as your backside is comfortable with it. That's, <laughs> that's, I love that. I love that. I think it's a shortcut to happiness. And, I, and just for our listeners' benefit, where in the world are you? I, uh, I landed in Dubai four weeks ago to do some paperwork for my businesses here. And, and I ended up saying, hmm, maybe in a world where I shouldn't be traveling too much, I'll yes. stay for a while. So my current intention yes. is to be here at yes. least until May. I don't know if you, if you, I know, I know Terence, you know, you know Dubai well, but for our listeners, uh, by yes. May, it will be quite uh, considerably Super hot for me to uh, think about, maybe I shouldn't be here anymore. We'll see. <laughs> I, I, I can relate to that as well. I think it reaches like 50, 55 degrees and it's, yeah, it's definitely yeah. too much. You, yeah. you mentioned to me as well that um, you spent some time in London during the lockdown. How was that? I did. I, I loved it. I mean, uh, look, I have no uh, um, right, if you want, formal right to be uh, hosted by by the UK at such a, mm-hmm. uh, a difficult time. And it was so generous. And I, I yeah. really, really appreciated it. For some reason, somehow that idea of the lockdown basically uh, sort of granted me St. James's Park as, as my own. Like there were no, there was nobody there. I would, uh, it yes. was the whole place for me. And, uh, and I have to admit, it, uh, you know, to me, I, I started this year, 2020, mm-hmm. with a, a New Year's, uh, um, I don't call them res- resolutions, I call them intentions. So I started with a yes. New Year intention that this was going to be the year of silence and space. Yes. 
and look at what the world provided. It's really weird. I mean, I had a lot of silence, a lot of, me, a lot me of time too. alone. Yeah. Me too. I mean, yeah. I, it really re resonates with me. Um, a CEO actually said to me recently that this year was cancelled. And I replied, I disagree. I think it's this sort of liminality space, a portal or gateway from one world to another. And I, I what are your that. thoughts? Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? And, and in terms of, I don't know, embracing, I guess a lot of our listeners will have hopes and anxieties and and dreams about 2021 such an incredible uh, disruptive year in so many ways but also a year for reinvention what, what, yeah. what are your insights um, on uh, on sort of 2021 so look real, reality is 2020 must have been the most difficult year most of us have ever mm. uh, uh, had to face you know you could have been diagnosed yourself it's a very difficult i i, I actually was diagnosed Did with covid 19 it's a very me too. It, it is a very very um heavy you know mm. kind of uh, of of disease if you want that uh, you yes. know you could have lost a loved one or are, are, are you know worried about losing a loved one you make some many people lost their jobs it's it's not easy in any way and i think we in our hearts have to have the empathy and hopefully even take the compassion to help those who are in, in tough times but at yes. the same time i i don't think there is anything special about uh, the fact that every negative thing in life has a positive side to it and, and the yes. positive side to this has actually you know if you look at it from a stoic point of view has been very clear for some of us and not for yes. others which is really quite interesting huh? uh, you know really some some people took this and said okay it's tough enough as it is uh, mm -hmm. but there are silver linings and i'm going to talk about those silver linings i'm going to remember them i'm going to embrace them and i'm going to make them uh, work for me. And I think yes. those came out uh, in a year that was very difficult, a little, you know, they mm -hmm. fared out better than than most of us. I mean, I'm, I'm yes. definitely one of those. I, I've seen, mm -hmm. uh, of course, the challenge and the pain, but I've also had many opportunities, uh, you yes. know, that came my way, which I embraced fully, and they've definitely made things better it's... for me. I, I can I can really relate to this. Scott Galloway, uh, the writer and uh, NYT lecturer, says that this year has been an accelerant in so many ways. And an example of that is I went to the supermarket and now between kind of 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. It's just for seniors. And I thought oh, to myself, why, so why hasn't that always been the case? Yeah, it's so wonderful. You know, so, so somehow somehow I think what happened is that this is the first year that has actually unified us as humanity around uh, around caring if you want uh, you know yes. it's because you care more I, I i called it actually as of november i've been calling 2020 the golden age of empathy because it's mm, so easy that. for you it's so easy to feel what others are feeling because you feel it yourself right yes. it's not you're not rushing through life not you know completely ignorant to what's going on when you feel stressed you know that the others are feeling stressed for the same reasons when you're feeling worried you know that others are feeling worried for the same reason and so on and so and so that idea of us suddenly realizing hey by the way maybe i can turn that mpc into compassion into action into yes. into changes that actually make the world better i think uh, you know is, is a wonderful thing in, in many ways. That segues so nicely because for any leaders listening, CEOs around the world, you know, there's this sort of, we're at this inflection point in terms of we're moving from ego to eco, uh, money to meaning, hierarchy to unbossed. 
uh, mm. you know, command and control to care and co-creation. What, what do you think is the zeitgeist for our listeners in terms of what we need to not just uh, kind of protect but sustain in terms of empathy and compassion? I, I, I recognize that there are some very, very clear benefits that we've learned. I think we've learned a lot in 2020 about our resilience. We've learned in 2020 about our cost management. We've learned in 2020 about productivity and efficiency. Uh, you know, but I think we've also learned in 2020 about the illusion of control, if you ask me, is the yes. biggest lesson. Right. And, 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 you know, I, I, I say that respectfully because mm. I don't think we have many leaders in the world. We have lots of great managers, highly, highly educated by Harvard Business Review and the likes. Yes, they, right. Mm. But, but, but management, management it's, is very, very different than leadership. Are there any that come to mind in terms of, you know, ones that you've admired the, this year in terms of that empathy and, and care and compassion and leadership? I, 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 look, I mean, I, it's actually wrong to single out names, but I think anyone yes. that actually prioritized their people. So, so what is a leader? Huh? Yes. Uh, let's say what is a manager? A manager is someone that leads from behind. It, you know, it's someone that pushes, uh, dangles carrots and sticks, uh, you know, uh, uh, makes sure things are done as per their own, uh, you know, uh, vision and direction and, you know, are quite controlling in many ways. Managers are the ones that, uh, you know, are so valuable to the organization that when they're on vacation, yeah. nobody works, right? Because, you know, and, and that's actually not a leader. When you really, really think about it, a leader is normally elected and not, uh, you know, hierarchical. A leader is someone that believes so passionately in something that they lead the way. So they are in the front running like crazy saying, I need to see this vision happen and, and yes. not even asking people to join them. And then people will say, I believe in that vision. I believe this person knows what they're doing. I wanna join that race. Now, yes. some of us in, in 2020 stepped up, okay? Some of us in 2020, instead of putting their heads down and saying, ah, oh, more challenges, why is life so hard? stepped up and said, hey, I believe in opportunities that came out of this. I believe in my people yes. and their resilience and that they can do something with this. And I'm going to lead by mm -hmm. fixing myself first. You know how yes. when we used yes. to travel like maniacs and they always tell you, told you, attend to yourself first before you, you help others, right? Yes. And, and, and that, I think, I, I, those are, are, the, are the inspirational leaders of 2020. Those who, who decided, you know what, I'm going to build myself from within and then I'm going to reach yes. out to my teams. I'm going to build myself from within, become realistic about the business and then I'm going to reach out and, and help others find yes. you know, that, that ability, that resilience, that happiness in a very difficult mm -hmm. time, if you want. And there are so many of those. Mm. And, and, I, and I also think from a leadership point of view, this was a, a year of pivoting. So, so yes. I don't know if, if you haven't changed this year, I wonder what would change you, to be honest. And, you know, for, for me, for example, you know, I, I have two lives, really. I have the life of an executive and a businessman and entrepreneur. Yes. But I also have the life of my happiness mission, One Billion Happy, where I'm trying to reach out to people around happiness. And my, yes. my typical approach uh, to One Billion Happy has been 
uh, jet setting really it was basically <laughs> getting getting on a flight how many uh, air miles oh i i since my book launched i did 8.7 trips around the globe in the first year 7.8 on the second year 7.9 mm. on the third year and when yes. locked when i was locked down in london i was passing through london uh, on a trip that would have taken me around the globe two and a half times. And, and the idea was very straightforward. I'm going to be out there. I, my, my target for myself was I was going to speak publicly mm -hmm. to at least 100,000 people every year. And then, yes. and, and then those 100,000 people uh, through the power of the internet would reach millions. Now, you know, when, when lockdown happened, of course, we all panic, you know, happiness uh, uh, teachers or not. And, and I think the idea for me was like, so what happens to my mission now? I'm never going to reach my target. And, and I, I, I know you know that, you know, the idea is I saw the opportunity. I saw that, oh, I am in the same place for two months. I can finally start that podcast I've been waiting to, to start. Yes. And, yes. And, and you have yes. no idea. You have no idea how many people I reached, like so many more than I would have yes. ever reached with travel. It's now one of the top 2% worldwide. I get constant messages of people saying, this really anchored me, it supported me. And it's not me talking anymore, so yes, it's yes. even easier. It's not, I, I get the, more, the wisest humans on earth and they simply jump in and share their stories. Right. It's, it's um, you know, it's it, it really. I mean, for me, it's there's a few messages here that I think will will are really important for our listeners. One is don't uh, don't limit your challenges, challenge your limits. And two is that, that famous Absolutely. saying. Yeah. The fa the second one is uh, choose courage over comfort. And I wanted to ask you because you had this incredible um, career at Google and Google X, the Moonshot Factory. What, what was that like working with people like Astro Teller? And what, what have been like the, key, the, the sort of the biggest learnings from, your, that, from that experience at Google that can benefit our listeners in terms of, I don't know, 10X and velocity and experimentation? How much time do we have? Oh my God. <laughs> I know, this is a... <laughs> yes. if, if you if you want me to summarize it, uh, you know, have you ever seen the Men in Black? Yes. Yeah, that was Google X. Okay, so you would walk in there, and there were people that, by normal standards of humanity, are a little bit like the aliens in Men in Black. Okay, all of them incredibly values driven. All of them incredibly smart. I was so humbled by how stupid I was. Okay, and and you know it's actually not an uncommon story in in humanity. You know when you get a small group of people who are super smart, super passionate about what they do and what they're able to create. Hmm? Yeah, uh, it is. Uh, it is. Um, it, it. I think it's a model. Catalyst. Uh, yeah, it's a model that the whole world needs to start opening their eye to. I mean, when I when I worked at Google and at Google X, I was very uh, fond of uh, Korea as a nation. I still am. I think they're some yes. of the smartest humans on the planet. And I I constantly, you know, would would speak publicly in Korea about innovation and technology. And my, my urge for them was like, you're so capable, but you're always dedicating your innovation to a thinner uh, LED screen or a better car technology which we actually don't really need. And I think the one thing that Google did very well and then we manifested that so well in Google X was what yes. Larry used to teach us. Larry was our CEO yes. at the time, Larry Page. Uh, Larry used to call it the toothbrush test. Ah, that, yes. Yeah, I was just about to ask you what, what is the toothbrush test? You've read my which, mind. 
it's it's really it's really really so simple but so profound because to him i think the way we grew as google was very eye-opening because we really didn't care much about the money when when google was being built google yes. was being built because of that incredible passion for organizing the world's information and then the money flooded in right and and the way the way larry would always summarize it is he would say if you solve a big problem that affects the life of hundreds of millions of billions of people and you solve it so well that they want to use it twice a day like they use a, a toothbrush you're bound to make a lot of money yes and i and i have to admit to you that completely i, I mean i'm a serial entrepreneur i started many many companies in my life and it was always starting from the business plan it's like hey uh, there is something there that can make money and i realized after google or after I joined Google, and I continued to be under an entrepreneur even as I was at, at Google, um, yes. you know, that the idea was to actually create stuff that changes the world, even if it changes your little world. And I've been yes. so much more successful thing since, because, because no longer was I worried about, you know, um, pitching to get funded or pitching the product to make people want to use it it became so obvious that what I was building was actually going to make a difference. Now, similarly, actually, yes. when I do that, I do that with my happiness mission. So, you know, I'm, I'm not the typical, uh, you know, happiness guru, if you want, on social media who, you know, just dispenses crappy advice in a, in a fashionable way. I'm sort of, I'm sort of what, I, what they, you know, normally know me as the happiness engineer, someone who's, yeah. who's very, very structured that happiness is actually a process. It follows biology and, and psychology and so on, but it is a process and that there is an engineering way where you can go through it uh, without the fluff, right? You know, when, when I speak on, on Slow Mo, my podcast, I speak about yes. facts and, and, and physics and, you know, and science and mathematics. And those are things that are valuable. To the world that we live in because the problem with our, with our happiness in the world is not that there is not enough happiness advice it's that the language of the happiness advice uh, most of the time is not suited for the modern day warrior the person that wants yeah. logic wants you know process wants to understand before he's told to do you know gets frustrated when you when you tell them to say um you know th those are the kinds of people that need a slightly different innovation if you I want, I want to ask you, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, how do I, how do I practice 10x in my life? This idea of, uh, you know, 10x rather than 10%. And, uh, yeah, I, you I know, love that. Example, I, yeah, what, what, what sort of mess, because I think a lot, of, yeah. a lot of people out there sort of think it's unattainable for like a normal person or a normal business. But is there a, is there a tip, a practical tip, how anybody, yeah, yeah, it could be a charity yeah, yeah. or an individual? You don't, you don't really practice 10x, you stop mm. practicing the X percent, okay? Yes. And, and, and that's a very different that's mindset. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, so, so the idea is incremental innovation is quite sexy, especially if you are running a business that, you know, is uh, on quarterly targets or you're an entrepreneur and you don't have a very long runway and so on and so forth. It seems yes. that, you know, a slightly better uh, uh, photo sharing app can actually make a bit of impact. But the truth is, all of the companies, all of the successes that we actually cite, uh, all of the leaders, you know, spiritual or political or whatever, that actually made a difference to the world, did not innovate incrementally. 
they actually reinvented the playground. They reinvented the landscape and, and found something that completely changed everything. And, and so, and, and so the, the one common thing between them is a resistance to uh, this is going to make things 10% better. Because yes. while 10% appears to be quite you know, attractive on the, 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 the balance okay. sheet, uh, it actually has no impact whatsoever on the world that we live in. Mm. And so if you go back to the toothbrush test and tell yes. yourself, I want to I wanna change the lives of people, uh, you know, I'll give you the example from Google X was the uh, Waymo, which was at the beginning was our self-driving cars department. And, mm. and, you know, and, and the idea was very straightforward. The idea was, you know, um, the automobile industry has done incredibly well at making cars safer over the, the last hundred years, right? From airbags to traction control, you know, they, they used to, to call it uh, um, uh, crash worthiness. So, so, you know, the idea of like, if a car crashes, it needs to be safe. And then they move to crash avoidance, which is if a car, uh, why should a car crash in the first place? Let's give the driver, uh, you know, tools that allows them to, to avoid a crash. Yes. But then, but then Google X was like, yeah, we can continue to improve that. Or we can actually say, why is it 90, you know, why is it that we get into accidents and 90% or 92%, if I remember correctly, of all accidents happen because of human error. Because, you know, someone is texting and driving, someone falling asleep, someone putting makeup on when she's driving or, you know, whatever. Huh? And, and, and uh, or, you know, missing a traffic light or missing something like that. The, the real core of the issue is the human. And so at the time, you know, the idea was, can you actually improve that performance of, of the human or can you 10 exit? Can you remove the human altogether and make the car drive itself? Hmm? And, what do you and think? When you, what do you think? When you put that target yes. in, in in your mind, you get there. You get there. What do you think? To follow on from that, yeah, I I uh, recently um, interviewed a lady called Halahanna, who's the managing director of Community MIT, and she said, uh, "Unlearning is the new superpower." Uh, hmm. This idea of what do we need to eliminate? We often talk about what we need to do more of, but what do we need to let go of or eliminate or, or you know, literally stop doing, have that no strategy? And as we approach, you know, we leave this one year, this liminal space between this, this crazy year, pandemic year and 2021 with so much hope riding on vaccines, for example. What, what would be your, your thought? What are your thoughts? What does your heart say in terms of what we need to unlearn or stop doing? in terms of humanity and business? Well, I mean, again, specifying certain things would be quite uh, limiting if you want. I, I think, you know, in my, in my work in Soul for Happy, I, I cite something that I call the illusion of knowledge. And the illusion yes. of knowledge is not, is not to tell you that what you know is not accurate, it's to tell you that what you know is likely, very, very likely not true, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and then you would go like, what are you talking about? And I say, take simple things like, you know, the Newton's laws of physics, which has, uh, you know, operated uh, to a very high level of accuracy since, you know, Newton uh, has helped us put a man on the moon. Uh, they seem to be, uh, you know, we seem, everything seems to be adhering to them. And yet they're actually absolutely not true. And, and yes. you, you start to ask yourself, what is he talking about? Yes, they're not. They are a, an approximation at best in the absence of friction. Uh, they don't include anything that, that has most of physics, uh, you know, in the second, in, in the laws of, you know, of, of thermodynamics and waves. Yes. 
they they have no idea they don't relate whatsoever to the quantum world and you know all of the quantum theory all of the theory of relativity you know they assume yeah. that gravity is constant they assume that time is constant when einstein uh, uh, you know changes those so so something that we relate to so heavily turns out yes. to be you know to be not really true at all it's just mm. it just works for as yes. per our observations and i yes. think a, a healthy habit is to start to ask yourself what else isn't true i i was i i i, I you know when we used to get together in in person i used mm. to run retreats um, for executives very high uh, yes. You know, either very successful or very high net worth executives, small groups. And I remember uh, I had a group of 14 uh, very, very successful, very high net worth individuals uh, from uh, um, uh, the Northern Europe. And, and, yes. and, you know, it was a happiness retreat. So we were talking about, you know, the theory of how happiness works and so on. Mm-hmm. And uh, four hours into the retreat, I was on the third line of the first slide. Okay. And, uh, you know, and, and that was as far as I could go because every single word was debated thoroughly. Like people yes. were constantly jumping in and saying, what does that mean? Where did that come from? How do you prove it? Do you have reference? Do you have and then after they do that, they would debate each other. It's like, oh, no, no, hold on. Why are you asking the question this way? You should ask the question that way. And I'm totally chill. You know, I'm, I'm, really energized. I, I, you know, I'm completely, I love that. Huh? And then yes. at, at four hours in, it was the first day started at 2 p.m. So it was around dinner time now. And I said, guys, are you enjoying this? And they said, it's wonderful. And I said, you love to debate, don't you? And they said, yeah, it's amazing. And I said, why? Why is debate so good yeah. for you? And they said, because it helps you get to the truth. And I said, that's amazing because the truth matters so much. Have you yeah. ever, ever in your life debated anything that your brain told you? And they said, what do you mean? And I said, all of the debates that I've seen you, ex- you know, do now was debate of external input that came into your, ple- you know, your, your, your consciousness into your brain uh, and that contradicted what your brain told you. So yes. if I told you something was red and you thought it and your brain thought it was blue, you started to debate that it was blue. Right. Mm-hmm. And I said, have you ever actually debated if it was blue and that maybe your brain is not actually correct? Okay, yes. and that was such an eye-opening statement because, in reality, even the, the the concept of red and blue, you know, most people who are colorblind don't find out that they're color colorblind until something actually ha- allows them to debate what their brain is telling them. Yes. Do, do you understand? It's, and it's, so the habit, yes. the habit should be debate what your brain is telling you. That yes. is unlearned. It's, I, I love that. And this idea of being more instinctive rather than prescriptive or formulaic and this truth to power, which every company is talking about now, you know, psychological safety has become a buzzword and the safety to speak up, the safety to debate, the safety to have a point of view. As we approach our final five minutes, I wanted to get your insights on that because another sort of big work trend, this idea, building on what you just said, of giving people that safety to to think from the heart, not just from the head. Yeah, uh, I request permission to speak freely. Can I? Yes. Yeah, I come. I come from an Eastern background, so I'm born and raised in Eastern cultures. Uh, Western educated and spent my entire life in a a Western work environment. 
And, you know, if we want to unlearn, I, I'd like for people to understand maybe that, that the, the way we do things in the West is not the only way, okay? That there are other ways that are also incredibly effective at getting things, maybe different things, huh? Maybe they're not the best for, uh, for uh, the top line. Uh, maybe yeah. they're not the best for our cash flow, but they are the best for society, societal uh, homogeneity. They're the mm -hmm. best for human happiness, for uh, you know, community engagement, and so on and so forth. And and the difference, the main main difference between them is that Western societies are highly driven by individualism and freedom. So it's all yes. about I me, want me, me me to succeed. Okay. I want me to be better than my neighbor. I want to have the car and the better car and the bigger house. I want me to get everything. And in that process, I don't want anyone to restrict me, right? West, the Eastern cultures are much more driven by community and respect. Okay. And that, by the way, doesn't, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, uh, Western culture, sorry, uh, Eastern cultures like uh, only Middle East but, uh, or, yes. or, or, or only uh, India or only Indonesia and so on. I'm also talking about very advanced nations like Japan and Korea and so on. And, yes. and that idea of respect and community changes mm. a lot of things. Mm. Mm. And, you know, when people are so constantly in the West fighting for freedom, I think what they forget is that there is one line, it was one of the most profound moments of what my father taught me, uh, yes. was, you know, we were in a restaurant, and it's a silly story, but we were in a restaurant, I was very young, so the, the, the waiter passes by with some very attractive looking dessert, and so my father calls them and says, hey, what is this? And, and I'm like, dad, that's embarrassing. And then my dad looks at me and says, but you should be free to do what you feel. And he continued and said, as long as it does not uh, 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 contradict other people's freedoms, okay? Yes. And, I, and I think with our constant obsession for individual freedom, we forget that we overstep other people's freedom in doing that. And my There's competition dream, for airtime as well. When I go to exactly. meetings, it's, everyone's yeah, competing it, to, to speak over each other. There's no totally. actually deep thinking. It's all shallow, all shallow and, and thinking. And there is also no empathy for what, you know, what I just said. How did that impact on others? Would I want to feel the way they felt as a result of what I said? Okay. Would I, you know, if, if my individual freedom, I am going to use a very, you know, a, a tough and, and a, you know, maybe too open and some, some maybe even rude example. But yes, if yes. my individual freedom as a man is I want to go and sleep with as many women as possible, have I ever considered Mm -hmm. What does that mean to the women I'm sleeping with? Okay, yes. if my if my you know freedom as a partner is to go and maybe do something that is it's freedom eh? that that my partner wouldn't approve of, would I want to be treated that way by my partner? Okay, yes. and I and I think the trick here is neither East nor West on their own is successful. I think the mix between them, mm -hmm. the mix between between the cultures that bring values and, and, and community and family and so on, and the cultures that bring success and perseverance and all of the, 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 the good that you get, progress that you get from the West, hmm? yes. can we mix freedom with respect? Mm -hmm. Okay, can we allow, and, I, and, and at Google we had 
we had that actually uh, I was championing that at a point in time because yes. Google was totally an environment for freedom where, you know, Sergey Brin, who's a wonderful human being, you know, would stand on stage and talk about something and someone would literally stand up and say, Sergey, I think you're an idiot. Okay. And <laughs> Sergey really, in his really, way, really transparent. Yeah. And Sergey in his wonderful way would go like, oh, uh, why? What? Why do you think that way? Okay, and 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 then a conversation would actually start with where that person would say, you know, data proves that this and that is not true, and so your theory is not true. And then someone else would stand up and look at the first person and say, well, I think you're you are an idiot because you're missing that piece of data that proves otherwise. You know, the illusion of knowledge. Yes. Nobody yes. really sees the whole truth, and yeah. and we started a full campaign of of saying, look. This entire conversation is amazing. It's pro-innovation. It's pro-freedom. But can we lose the you're an idiot bit? You know, does that really add any value at all? It's it, it kind of, you know, it's so important because I think a lot of listeners will, will really uh, think about this, this idea that culturally in the West often we're hardwired to just react, whereas actually we need to rewire to reflect uh, totally. Look inside, because I would I would tell you the one person that needs your help to change most is you. Okay. Yes. And 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 you know. And I think when you look inside, you have to look inside without the ego, the mask that we show to the rest of the world. You have to look inside and say, Am I actually really realizing my potential? Mm-hmm. Is that actually even my potential at all? What I'm doing. Am I happy with what I'm doing? Am I am I energized to do it? Am I the yes. best in the world at it? You know, is there something mm. else in life that I could be doing better? Is my freedom harming others? Is it harming me? Okay. And I think that debate, hmm, while I say we as leaders should create environments of freedom, okay, yes. those free, uh, 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 you know, agents that come into our life, those free uh, humans that come into our life should exercise an act of respect. Okay. And the, and the meeting between those two is an environment that is, both free and respectful at the same time. Yes. Let's square the circle and go back to the beginning. Uh, the late psychiatrist Oliver Sacks said, to thrive in life, we need three things, uh, believing, belonging, and becoming, being in this perpetual state of beta. And the philosopher Karl Popper said, we have a moral duty to be happy. And I wanted to ask you, what, what, what's, what's, the, what's new with what One Billion Happy and how can our listeners get involved with that fantastic global mission? Well, I, I'll, I'll say this is a, way, a, a world that has never needed more happiness. Huh? Uh, the, the, truth, the truth is, as perseverant as we have been, as resilient as we have been, it's tough. Hmm? And, and interestingly, the, the one thing that makes people happiest is to make another person happy. Okay, and I, I speak- I Pay it forward. Uh, absolutely. I speak to, to corporates quite often now because suddenly happiness is a topic at corporates. Huh? And, and yeah. somehow I basically say, try to wake up tomorrow with one objective, which is because this is the golden age of empathy, I'm gonna turn my empathy into compassion and help one person in my team in my peers, peer group, whatever, just feel a little better about tomorrow than than they would without me. Okay. And somehow, if that becomes your target, hmm, you will wake up every morning and tell yourself, Oh, my God, such a good day. You know, what am I going to do today to make a difference? 
that yes. it's not altruistic. It's it's slightly higher than the hamster wheel. Hmm? Mm. It, it's basically while I'm in the hamster wheel, can I hug another hamster? Hmm? Yes. And I and I think that idea hmm, of paying things forward has been the base for of one billion happy. So you know, don't yes. don't get me wrong. When I when I set the target for one billion happy, I was a serious Google executive. I knew how to uh, to to. I still know how to reach billions. Okay, yes. but but reaching billions with a video is a lie. Reaching billions with a, a meme on the internet is ineffective. And and don't lie to yourself. Huh? It took Jesus a, a, a two thousand years to reach a billion people. So I'm never going to reach a billion people in my lifetime. Okay, yeah. and that's that's the truth. That's the realistic expectation. But I can reach a million, who will reach a billion? Okay, and I think the idea of one billion happy has been there is a solid model. Of happiness that works it's an engineered model based on an equation that is highly predictable that logical people can use every time okay and if i can get to, again i i love slow-mo so i talk about it a lot yes. because it really is changing lives huh? if i can yes. get wise people a hundred of them this year i did okay if i can get a hundred wise people now to be the champions to share their wisdom with the tens of thousands of of, of slow mo followers who then share it with through six degrees of separation with the millions of people they're connected to then we've created an enormous wave of change yes. okay and and that to me is the key in the times we're in mm. the, the, to me the key is i understand how others are feeling instead of yes. just focusing on acquiring more for me i'm going to attend to me to feel better and then i'm going to share that with others and hoping as you rightly said pay it forward my favorite yes. my, my son's favorite movie yes, uh, you ali. know pay, yeah, yeah ali, ali gave me a few hints before he left our world and one of them was yes. pay it forward and pay it mm. forward hmm, is truly the idea of one little child doing one act that can make our world better before I leave you, I will yes. just ask you to think about how much our world needs to become better and how yes. much waiting for the, you know, corporate leaders or the uh, political leaders or, you know, whoever is in charge, the decision makers, is not going to fix our world. The only yes. way we can fix global warming, the only fix the way we can fix climate change, pollution, the plastic disaster, the only way we can fix our uh, depression rates that are going through the roof, the only way we can you know, solve water energy crisis, all of the things that humanity is facing. And most importantly, actually, I just finished my third book uh, about Great. AI. Yeah, the, the only way we can convince artificial intelligence to actually be on our side is yes. for us to change, for us to decide Mm -hmm. to to want to be better ourselves and want to make the world better and so when but technology what's the, what's comes the name in, of the new book it's called scary smarts which i absolutely oh, freaking love I think when's it coming out name. september hopefully so uh between and in the age of ai the the publishing <laughs> industry still takes nine months to publish the book <laughs> so. it's so true it's such a such a <laughs> slow process isn't it yeah. Mo, it's been but, uh, such a pleasure to to have this this you know we could we could just talk for hours and days i think it, it reminds me um i think for our listeners to say this is not the end it's not the beginning of the end but it might absolutely. be the end of the beginning uh it's yeah, such and, a pleasure and, and, to and catch I, up with I, you I, again 
I, I thank you so much, and I'd, I'd urge every one of our listeners, if there are more questions, more points that we haven't answered or spoken about, yes. find me on social media. I answer every single question I get, and I know it sounds crazy because I get thousands, but try me. So, uh, yeah, and I hope I hope I left you some things to reconsider and think about. Mo, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. What a privilege and delight to speak with Mo today. Humans are hardwired to be happy. What I learned is that business and society must prioritize happiness alongside growth and profitability. Mo's mission to scale a global movement of happiness using the power of courage, imagination and 10x thinking is exactly what humanity needs in this automated and virtual world. As Mo says, we should not just prioritize our own happiness, we should use the superpower and pay it forward. At the core of this elegant message is a very simple proposition. As Karl Popper, the philosopher said, humans have a moral duty to be happy.